Thank you, God, for loving me no matter what. Amen? Amen. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever, forever. Man, I hope uh, as we move into Thanksgiving week that you're going to have a thankful heart. But here's the, here's the thing I want to encourage. Let that transform you and carry it out through the rest of the year and all through uh, the, year to, the next year to come. If you could go into 2020 with a heart of gratitude, it's life-changing. It's life-changing. Amen? I am so thankful for Coast Community Church. I'm thankful for each and every one of you. I love you guys. I'm so proud of seeing what God is doing in your life. I want to say, and Pam mentioned it a second ago, I want to say I'm so grateful and thankful for all of those who went through our two freedom classes that we had in our last term of small groups. They completed the 12 weeks and went to the freedom conference, and we saw people being set free. We saw chains coming off of people, and what a powerful day that is. Can we give them a hand? That's awesome. You know, this has been a long series. For the last eight weeks, we've been in a series called When Jesus Dropped the Mic and kind of studying through the Beatitudes. And I can't imagine anything more incredible than sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his most famous sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. And for the last eight weeks, we've been kind of zeroing in on a section of that sermon known as the Beatitudes. And this was a series of eight statements that Jesus made, and he attached a blessing to each of those statements. He says, if you'll do these things, you can walk in blessings. You can find true happiness. And I love that because Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and experience it to the full. So this is a way of saying, this is how you do it. These are some things that you can put into practice in your life that's greatly going to increase your opportunity to walk with God and to know God and to live that full life. And so that's what we've been studying over these last few weeks is this idea of the Beatitudes. And and so today we're starting to come to our final Beatitude, and then we'll start into our Christmas season, which, man, Christmas is going to be off the chain. It's going to be great. Really looking forward to our Christmas season here. But let's talk about the eighth beatitude. If if I were to ask you this morning, who is the most persecuted people group on the planet? Most of you would probably get it wrong because it's Christians. That's right. I mean, you didn't know that. It's Christians. And the reason it would surprise you is because nobody talks about it. It's one of the most overlooked news items on the planet. In fact, the International Society for Human Rights, which is a secular organization, not a Christian organization, they put out a report that said 80% of all religious freedom violations in the world are directed against Christians. 80% of all religious freedom violations in the world are directed against Christians. For the last 2,000 years, Christianity, uh, the Christian church, and Christians in particular, have been persecuted. For example, for 300 years, it was illegal to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. They were feeding them to the lions. The Emperor Nero used to take Christians and he would cover them in tar and light them on fire to light up his garden. I mean, how horrendous is this? And this sort of stuff has gone on for thousands of years, 2,000 years. But what you don't know is that this is the worst persecution right now is the worst persecution in all of human history. It's happening right now in our lifetime. It's just not being reported. Since the resurrection uh, 2,000 years ago, about 70 million believers in Jesus Christ have died because of their faith. 70 million. And what most people don't know and what's most shocking is that half of that number, 35 million, have happened in the last 100 years. 
That's right now. That's in our lifetime. Followers of Christ all over the world face the threat of discrimination, persecution, arrest, imprisonment, torture, and even death. There used to be, for instance, around 1.3 million believers, followers of Christ in Iraq. That was before the first Gulf War. Now, according to recent statistics, there's less than 100,000 in the nation of Iraq. The most current estimate is that in North Korea, uh, there are probably somewhere upwards of 70,000 Christians, followers of Christ in North Korea right now, suffering in prison. About every 10 minutes, listen to this statistic, about every 10 minutes, two Christians will die for their faith around the world, hour by hour, day after day, week after week, every month. Two every 10 minutes for the last decade. Now, you've not heard that because nobody's reporting that. No one is talking about that in the news. So for anybody that thinks that being a follower of Jesus Christ is easy, you are sadly mistaken. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is not for wimps. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for cowards. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Anyone who belongs to Christ Jesus and wants to live right will have trouble from others. And I notice the word will. Not you might, not you could. But it's a guarantee you will face opposition. If you take a stand for Jesus Christ in your life, there will be people who will oppose you. You will face peer pressure. You will face harassment. So today we come to the last of our eight Beatitudes. We've been talking about how to walk in God's blessing, how to have happiness. And we've looked at things like humility and generosity and integrity and being a peacemaker. And today, in the last of our Beatitudes, we're going to talk about how do you handle opposition to your faith? Now, as we start into this, let's just be real honest. In America, we're not really being persecuted. I mean, we're not. we're, We're being pressured. There's a pressure for you to conform and be like everybody else. But it's not violent oppression like it's happening in the rest of the world, at least not right now. So it's not violent oppression that we face. It's more of silent repression. This is that subtle pressure that tells you to shut up, just be quiet, don't speak about your faith, don't talk about your belief, just be one of the lemmings and follow along with the crowd, you know, just be a part of the flow, you know, don't talk to anybody, don't be a witness for your faith. See, you're going to be... You're going to face times in your life where you'll be around people who will say things like, well, you know, Christians, they're just a bunch of, and then they'll give you a thing. They're they're just a bunch of bigots. They're just a bunch of this. They're just a bunch of that. All right? And you will feel the pressure to stay quiet. That's being harassed for your faith. What do you do in those situations? Well, there's some things that you need to remember, and there's some things that you need to do. First of all, I want to talk about what you need to remember. When you feel pressured for your faith, the very first thing that you need to remember is this. Opposition can make me more like Jesus. Opposition can make me more like Jesus, and that's a good thing. Jesus faced opposition in his life, and this is what he said. When the world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world would love you if you belonged to it, but you don't. Jesus said, I chose you out of the world. That's why the world will hate you. No servant is greater than his master. So since they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Now follow me on this. If you're going to grow to become more like Christ, then the fact is we're going to go through some of the same things Christ went through. There were times when he was lonely. So you're going to be 
facing loneliness sometimes. There was times where Jesus was tempted to be discouraged. There were times where he was worn out and fatigued. There was times where Jesus was criticized and he was lied about. And there was times that he faced opposition. And God allowed Jesus to walk through all of these things. See, you're going to experience the same things too in your life. As I said, Christianity is not for wimps. It's not for people with no backbone. Jesus said, if, you, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you too. If you follow Jesus, if you go against the flow, you're going to feel it. If, you feel, uh, if you're being persecuted in your faith, you know what that means? It just means you're doing something right. The Apostle Peter says it like this in 1 Peter 4.14. If you're abused because of Christ, count yourself fortunate. It's the Spirit of God and His glory in you that brought you to the notice of others. So when you're criticized, when you're being judged by other people, consider it a compliment and a confirmation, right? And if you never experience criticism for your faith, then maybe you need to ask yourself, what does this say about my faith? Maybe you need to start, stop and just wonder, how Christ-like am I? Why is, are people not noticing my faith? I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but the more positive you are, the more negative people are not going to like you, right? I mean, if you get up in the morning and you're all happy and you're all excited and you're ready to face the day, God's put his purpose in your life, man, you just go out and you got this smile on your face and you come across somebody who's grumpy, they're going to resent you. <laughs> And they will, man. They don't want you to be positive. They want you to be negative too. And see, that's what happens. The world wants you to be like them. But we are not of this world. It's not who we are. So the first thing that you need to realize is that Jesus was criticized. Jesus was maligned. He was attacked. So the more I'm like Jesus, the more I'm going to experience some of those same things. And it just means that it's a sign. It's a symbol. It's a confirmation that we're walking like Jesus. Second thing you need to remember, opposition will deepen my faith. It'll deepen my faith. Opposition is how your faith grows. It's like growing a muscle. I mean, you can't grow a muscle by just sitting around somewhere on a chair eating popcorn. It doesn't work like that, no. you got to get some weights going. you got to build some resistance. There's got to be some sort of opposition. There's some stretching and training and, and straining. It's the opposition that causes it to grow. Same thing with your faith. Opposition strengthens your faith. That's why some of the strongest people in the world are people who face real challenges, even to their health, their well-being, their freedom, or their life because of their belief in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.7 says, These troubles, talking about the ones that you're going through, will prove that your faith is genuine. Just as gold is purified by fire and heat, so your faith, which is more precious than gold, must also be purified by fire so it may endure. And then here's what happens when opposition strengthens your faith. Here's the result. Then you'll receive praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. There's a reward coming one day. If you stand through the fire, if you let opposition deepen your faith, then this third thing will happen. Opposition will give me eternal rewards. Eternal rewards. So now we come to the last of our eight Beatitudes that we've been studying. And in this one, Jesus talks about opposition. It's found in Matthew 5, 10 through 12, and it says this, God blesses those who are persecuted, and I want you to read this part with me. It says, 
because they live for God. All right, we're going to get you to read it a little bit louder than that this time. All right, read it with me. Because they live for God. One more time, I'm going to get you to do this. It is my mission. I am going to get you to say these words. God blesses those who are persecuted because they live for God. There you go. And that's it, man. It's about living for God. Now, it doesn't say persecuted for any reason. It says they're persecuted because they are living their life for God. And it says, and the kingdom of God will be theirs. What a promise. The kingdom of heaven will be theirs. You will be blessed when, not if, but when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's saying, you know what? I'm going to bless anybody who's persecuted because they believe in God. So three things to remember when harassment comes into your life. One, it makes me more like Christ. Two, it can deepen my faith. And three, I will receive rewards in eternity forever and ever. So that's what you need to remember. Now the second thing is, what are we going to do? This is what we remember. Now what do we want to do? Because we always want to take the Word of God and let it be applicable to our life. In other words, not just be hearers of the Word. We want to be doers. We want to find a way to take what we're learning and apply it to our life. So I want to talk about what do we do. But before I do, I've got a quick video I want you to see. Thank you. 
I was thinking about, as I was watching this video this morning, uh, the first time I went to Africa, I spoke at a pastor's conference in uh, Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. And pastors came from all over the, 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 the continent, really, to come and to, to go through this teaching. I was there with a group and a team of, of pastors, and we were preaching and teaching these guys. So when we arrived into Dar es Salaam, there was a young guy uh, who didn't speak any English. He only spoke Swahili. And he, he just attached himself to us. And he was with us everywhere we went. And he would uh, grab our bags and all of that sort of stuff. As far as I know, he didn't speak any English whatsoever. But we would hear him as the translator would translate when we were preaching or teaching. And, and he would say, come on. <laughs> and, and, and so we would call him brother, come on, because that's all we knew about him. Uh, but I remember asking one of the pastors, tell me about, come on. And he said, he said, he's a young guy who came to us scared to death because he had become a Christian and his family was Muslim. And right now there are assassins that have been looking for him for the last couple of years because his family wants him dead. Guys, as I said earlier, man, Christianity is not for weaklings. It's not for wimps. It takes courageous men. It takes courageous women to follow Jesus. There are people suffering in ways that we will never suffer as Americans. So what does it cost you to follow Christ? What is it? I mean, what is the cost to you? As I said earlier, you'll probably never have to deal with violent oppression, but you will deal with silent repression every single day. The truth is, is America has become more and more anti-Christian in so many ways. Our country is becoming more and more secularized. And the Bible tells us six things, and you might want to write these down. These are the six ways that you can handle oppression for your faith. Here's the first one. Number one is, don't be surprised. Don't expect the world to support your decision to follow Christ. Many times they won't. I'll never forget when I was living in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and I gave my life to Christ. And I remember going to my friends who were all in the, uh, I, most of them were musicians, most of them were living the lifestyle that I was living. And I remember going to them and saying, I've given my life to Christ, and I've changed the way I see things. My worldview's changed. My heart has changed. God is doing something differently inside of me. How many of you know, none of them were excited for me. They weren't. Matter of fact, they were kind of resentful about it. They kind of, you know, even though they loved me and they cared about me, they thought they were helping me by saying, no, this is what you want to do. But it was, and Jesus changed my life. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4.12, Dear friends, don't be surprised or shocked when you go through painful trials that are like walking through fire as though something unusual is happening to you. Jesus said, you know what? In this world, you will have trouble. So don't be surprised when it happens. Don't be surprised. Then number two, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You say, well, how do I get past that fear? 
How do I get past the fear of opposition? How do I get past the fear of disapproval or that fear of being rejected? Well, you need to be filled with God's love. The more you realize just how loved you are by God, the Bible says there's no fear in love. And it says perfect love casts out all fear. So you focus on God's love for you. See, healthy people aren't afraid of rejection. Healthy people aren't afraid of disapproval. Healthy people know they are loved by God. And this is a huge revelation when you get this in in your spirit, that God's love causes you not have to walk in fear. You don't have to be afraid because you know that no matter what, just like the girl said in the video the very beginning, that God loves me no matter what. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what people around you are doing, God's love is there for you and perfect love casts out all fear. Come on, somebody. That's what happens. Now, the Bible says this in 1 Peter 3. If you suffer for doing what is right at work, at home, at school, wherever, God will reward you for it. So don't be afraid and don't worry. Instead, worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if you are asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. I want you to notice two words there, worry and worship. See, when you face times of of opposition for your faith, there's always going to be these alternatives. You can worry or you can worship. You can panic or you can pray. You can focus on the problem, the pressure, the persecution, or you can focus on God. And that's what worship is. That's what worship is. When we, when, we, when we worship, man, we are focusing on God. There's no greater place to put your attention. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Worship. And then number three, don't be ashamed. Never be embarrassed for standing up for your faith. Matter of fact, look me in the eyes. Never be embarrassed for standing up for your faith. Don't do that. Don't be afraid. 1 Peter 4.16 says, It is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Instead, thank God for the privilege of being called by His name. Let me ask you a question. Is an insult going to kill you? No. Is somebody calling you a name or labeling you as something because you're a Christian, is that going to kill you? No. Is some troll on the internet who's trying to goad you into an argument, is that going to hurt you? No, it's not. So he says, don't be ashamed, don't be afraid, and don't be surprised. Now, I want you to write a sentence down. And if you don't get anything else from what I'm saying today, if you could take this home, I would be very, very happy and call it a successful morning. Write this sentence down. I don't need other people's approval to be happy. I don't need other people's approval. If you learn this, man, it will change your life. Because otherwise you're living for what other people think. And if you're afraid about what other people think, you can't be who God made you to be. It restricts you if you're worried about pleasing other people. I don't need other people's approval to be happy. I focus on God. I focus on what He wants, what He's saying in my life, and not what other people think. Because I don't need, and you don't need, other people's approval. Happiness is a choice. It's a choice. You get to choose your attitude. 
My, here's my attitude. I'm choosing to be thankful. I'm choosing to be grateful. I'm choosing to walk in joy. I am choosing to walk in peace. I am choosing to not let the circumstances around me dictate the way I live my life. I am determined and I have made a choice that no one, no one's approval is more important than the God I serve. And I'm going to live my life for Him. And I'm choosing happiness. Amen? Just put your hand on your heart and say, I choose happiness. That's what we're doing. The Bible says this, 1 Peter 5, 9. Take a firm stand against Satan and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. What's he saying? He's saying, don't be ashamed. You're in good company. This has been happening for 2,000 years, and it's still happening. You're in good company. And you ought to, sometime this afternoon, you know, pull out your Bible, dust it off. No, no, hopefully, hopefully you don't have to dust it off. Uh, pull out your Bible, go to Hebrews chapter 11, right? God's Hall of Fame. And in God's Hall of Fame, he talks about Christians who were killed, they were beaten, they were tortured, they were ridiculed, they were imprisoned, on and on and on and on and on. 1 Peter 3.17, remember, it's better to suffer for doing God's will than to suffer for doing evil. Here's the point. No matter what you do in your life, there's going to be somebody that's not going to like it. Right? There is. There's nothing you can do to make everybody like you. Do you agree with that? That's true. Right? You can't make everybody like you. So you may as well do the things that God likes rather than the things people like because that's what's going to matter in eternity. You're always going to find people who disagree and disapprove. You can't avoid it. Here's the fourth step. This one's really important. You need to recognize the source of the opposition. You need to recognize the source of the opposition. And the source is, you know what it is, it's Satan. It's the devil. It's not other people. It's not your coworkers. Listen to me, it's not some political party. It's not some person who doesn't like you. The real pressure that you're feeling is not coming from people. It's coming from the real enemy, the devil. In Revelation 12.10, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren or the accuser of Christians. That's his job. His number one job is to make you feel bad about yourself. His number one job is to make you doubt yourself and to doubt God. His number one job is to just mess with your mind. And the reasoning on this, the reasoning is, and this may come as a shock to some of you, he hates you. He hates your guts. I mean, it's so obvious. Man, he hates anything that God created. And what he hates most of all is God's children. So Satan hates you. God loves you. Satan hates you. You've heard people say, well, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Satan hates you and has a terrible plan for your life. He wants to mess you up. He does. So what's happening in our life every day, you may not see it, but in the heavenlies, there is this unseen spiritual battle going on all around you. And there is this pressure coming from the enemy to make your life miserable, to make you cave in, to keep you from doing the right thing, to keep you from living the purpose that God put you on this planet for, right? You've got to look beyond that. You've got to look beyond the people because they're just pawns. They're just tools. They're just weapons. A lot of times, they don't even know what they're doing. Most of the time, they don't even know what, that they're being used. This is spiritual warfare. 
The Bible says in Ephesians 6.12, we're not fighting against human beings. We're not fighting. Our war, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against human beings, but against wicked spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. See, Satan knows that he can't defeat Jesus. So what does he do? He attacks God's children. And he uses all kinds of things, television, social media, music, people, anything he can get to attack you. And he'll call you a bigot, and he'll say that you don't know what you're talking about. He will say that your viewpoints and your mindsets are out of date, and on and on and on. Here's what the Bible says that you should do. 2 Timothy 2. Stay away from stupid and senseless arguments, and I would add, on the internet especially. (laughs) These only lead to what? They only lead to trouble. (laughs) They're going to get you in trouble. Listen to this next line. This one's going to sting. God's servants must never quarrel. This is so important. They never quarrel. I didn't say this. God did. This is God's word. They never quarrel. Instead, when you're being harassed or when you're under pressure, be kind to everyone, including the opposition. And be patient. Be humble when you correct people who oppose you. They've been trapped by the devil. And he makes them to obey him. But God may help them escape. What's he saying? He's saying these people, they're pawns. right? And if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, if you don't have God's power in your life, then you don't have any way to defeat the enemy. And so he will make your mood swing all over the place. He'll, he'll draw you into depression. He'll make you angry. And you don't have any defense against him if you don't have God's Spirit alive inside of you. You say, well, Robert, I'm pretty strong. You're not that strong. No, I'm sorry, you're just not. So there's people who are being used as tools, and what you need to do is recognize the source and treat the opposition the way Jesus did. How did Jesus treat people who opposed him? Even on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, right? That's what it means to be Christ-like. These people who are attacking you, they don't know what they're doing. They're being used by the enemy. Think about this. Jesus was lied about constantly consistently. Sometimes go through the the scriptures and read through the the gospels and look at how many times Jesus was lied about in the Bible. They said he was a revolutionary. He was coming to overthrow Rome and and take Pilate's place. Wrong. But they used that to get him to the cross. They said, he's got a demon. Wrong. They said, well, he's drunk. He's a drunk. He's a glutton. Wrong. They said, he's a devil incarnate. Wrong. How did Jesus respond to all those lies around him? Look at this next verse, 1 Peter 2.23. It says, when they hurled their insults at him, Jesus did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to God who judges justly. And should look at the same uh, scripture from the message paraphrase. It says they called him every name in the book, and he said nothing back. Could you do that? Are you capable of doing that? The answer is yes, you are. You just got to want to. You just got to want to. They called him every name in the book. He said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. Who's going to do a better job of setting things right, you or God? God, absolutely. Which leads us to the fifth thing that you need to do when you're under attack. And that is number five, refuse to retaliate. 
Oh, man, Robert, what are you doing to me? You are most like Christ when you're not striking back. In this eighth beatitude, the last one, it says this. Let me quote it to you again. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets which were before you. It's the eighth beatitude. He says you're going to be insulted. People are going to call you names. They're going to label you. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be lied about. People will do things to discredit you, to dishonor you. The world loves to find fault with Christians. And if they can't find any fault, they'll make stuff up. Come on, right? They will. Here's what the Bible says, Romans 12. Never pay back evil with more evil. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We talked about this last week. You know what I love about the Bible? It always tells the truth. It says as much as possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace. There's some people that won't let you live at peace with them. That's just the way it is. But then he says, and never avenge yourselves. Refuse to retaliate. Leave that to God who says, I'll be the judge and I'll take care of it. You know, I told you earlier, you don't need anybody's approval to make you happy. Let me give you a second great truth that will change your life. Write this down. Anytime I react, I give control to that person. Anytime I react, I give control to that person. And you don't want to do that. You don't want to give up control to somebody else. The only person you want controlling you is God. You can't control what other people do. But see, you can't control your reactions. Have you ever said this to anybody? You make me so mad. Right? You just admitted to them who's in control. They are. That's what you're saying to them. You have the power to control my emotions. You've given them control. See, you should only get mad when you choose to get mad. There's some things you should get mad about, right? Uh, there's some things that, 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 that are worth getting mad about. But, but personal insults, that's not one of them, right? That's not something to get mad about. Now, you make me so mad means I'm allowing you to control my emotions. Anytime you react... Anytime you retaliate, anytime you try to get revenge, you've just handed control to the enemy. Don't do that. George Washington Carver once said, I will never allow another man to control my life by making me hate him. It's a good word. Right? So the sixth thing you do when you face opposition, and this is the most important one of all, this is what makes Christians different from everybody else in the world because nobody else does this. Number six, when I'm persecuted, when I'm harassed, when I'm oppressed, I respond with a blessing. What? Yeah. Yeah, you return good for evil. Not only do you refuse to retaliate, but the Bible says if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you actually do good to those who do bad to you. You bless those who hurt you. Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? good. You don't, you're not going to make the world brighter by blowing out somebody else's candle. It doesn't work that way. All right? Do not overcome evil with evil. Overcome evil with good. Now, Jesus here gets very, very specific. Let me ask you, you, you ever find yourself wishing you could take certain verses just out of the Bible? 
You know, you're reading through your Bible and you hit that one verse and you just wish you could get an exacto knife and just kind of cut it out of there so you don't have to do it. Luke 6 is one of those passages. I want you to listen to what it says. This is Jesus talking. Jesus says, love your enemies. You've got to be kidding me, Lord. Seriously? Love your enemies? Yeah. Do good to those who hate you. Oh, that's overkill. Come on, Jesus. What are you doing? Right? Bless those who curse you. Oh, man. Pray for those who hurt you. Come on, Lord. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Don't you just wish you could cut that verse right out? Right? Replace it with a verse that says, you know, bust up your enemies. Right? (laughs) Gossip about those who hurt you. Write something nasty on Facebook about the person, you know, who's hurt you. And if someone slaps you on the cheek, you slap them back only harder. Right? Don't you just wish you could rewrite the Bible? Aren't you actually kind of glad we can't? Yeah. See, Jesus is talking about being courageous. Jesus is saying, you know what? Anybody can fight back. Anybody can retaliate. Anyone can say something mean. I mean, you can teach a parrot to curse, right? right? He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. And if they slap you, Turn the other cheek. Is that easy? No. But it's a powerful witness to the world when you overcome evil with good. Gary, Beth, if you guys want to come on up. And if you can do these six things that we talked about today, you're going to be blessed. That's the blessing of the eighth beatitude. So let me just propose a question to you as we close this thing down. What would happen if in the United States... Christianity was made illegal like it is in so many countries in our world. And let's say you got arrested for being a Christian. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or are you just kind of staying quiet? You're just staying out of the way. You're wimping out when it comes to your faith. You're, you're keeping your head down. You, know, you never make a stand for your faith. Let me close with two questions, two, or not two questions, two statements that Jesus made. Mark 8.38, Jesus said this, If you're ashamed of me and my commands, that means my commands about life, about sexuality, about finances, about reconciliation, about race. If you're ashamed of me and my commands in this godless and sinful generation, I will be ashamed of you when I come back in glory with the holy angels. He said this in Matthew 10.38, But for those who declare publicly that they belong to me, I will do the same for them before my Father in heaven. God is looking for people who will courageously follow him. I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to do something courageous for Jesus this week. You say, well, what will I do? Well, I don't know. It could be anything. It could be something as simple as when you sit down at the table this afternoon Maybe you go out someplace to a restaurant to eat and you just simply take your family and you bow your heads and pray. And I've had people come up to me and say, it really touched me when I saw you and your wife pray before your meal. Sometimes, sometimes when we're in a restaurant, we'll say to the waitress or the waiter, we'll say, hey, we're getting ready to pray over our meal. Is there anything we can pray for you about? You're taking a stand for your faith. It could be something like like getting baptized. When you get baptized, that's a, that's a statement to the world. I am following Jesus. I've made that decision. I'm going to follow him with all of my life. So you stand up for your faith 
and you walk in the blessings of God. Would you bow your head with me? Every head bowed, every eyes closed. If you're here and you say, Robert, I need to be stronger when it comes to standing up for my faith. So many times I've kind of pulled back. I haven't been there. I haven't stepped out. I want to be stronger in my faith. Would you pray for me? Could I just see your hands? Wow. Wow. Father, for every person that's here, Lord, I pray for a holy boldness to come into their life. Not a holy abrasiveness. A holy boldness. One that says, I'm not afraid. Be honest with you. I'm more afraid of people going to hell that I could have changed that from their life. I'm more afraid of that sort of thing happening than I am about being embarrassed because I spoke up about Jesus. Share your faith with the people around you. Lord, I just thank you. I pray for a boldness. I pray, Father, for the words to speak, the time, the right moment. Father, I pray that we would be led by you and led by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray for a, 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 and a release of the Holy Spirit on every life, every person that's here to be bold about their faith. Maybe you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to come in and be the Lord of your life. That means I'm giving you the control of my life. Maybe you've never taken that step before. Today's a great time to do that. Today's a great time to say yes to Jesus Christ. Yes, I want to give my life to you. I want to give my heart to you. I want to be used by you. When you do that, and you know what happens? God will forgive your past. He'll forgive everything you've ever done wrong. He'll give you that complete knowledge that you can start over because God is the God of second chances and fifth chances and 25th chances and 125th. God is the God of forgiveness. And he'll forgive you and give you that opportunity to start over. But not only will he forgive you of your past, and he'll give you a reason to live right in the present. Every day there'll be a reason to get up and take a breath. You'll have a purpose for your life. And then finally, and he'll give you the promise of heaven, eternity with him forever. Maybe you're here and you've never asked him to take control of your life. Today's your day. And I want to encourage you to take that step right now. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come in front of everybody. But if that's you and you say, Robert, I need to take this step today. I want to ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life and take control of my life. If that's you, I want to ask you just to make eye contact with me. All right? Just make eye contact with me. I'm going to look around. I see you. Thank you. Thanks. Anybody else? Don't want to miss anybody. I see you. I got you. Looking one more time. Don't want to miss anybody. Lord, thank you for those who made eye contact with me now. And Father, I just want to lead you in a prayer. And I'm going to ask everybody, we're, we're going to pray this one out loud tonight. We're not going to just do it in our hearts. But I'm going to ask everybody to do it with me. So if you would, say, Dear Jesus, come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. 
I yield myself to you, and I'm letting you lead the way. I thank you for your salvation. I thank you that my life will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God a hand? Yeah. So here's my prayer for you this week, is that in everything you do, you'll find this, this desire to live your life for Christ and that you won't be ashamed. You won't worry about what other people think because you're living for him. And that as you look for approval, you'll feel his smile on your heart and on your life. I pray, Father, that, that thankfulness that, that comes at this time of the year, that you're going to carry it not only through the end of this year, but through 2020 and the years to come, that you're going to live this life with a life of gratitude, a, a heart of gratitude, and, and God will do something. He'll turn around some things. He'll turn around some viewpoints as you do that, and I believe that. Amen? Amen. Hey, listen, next weekend at Coast starts our Christmas season, and I'm really excited about this. We're starting a brand new series, and, and this this Sunday, basically what we're going to do in this series is we're going to talk about the Christmas story, but we're going to talk about how does it apply to us now? Is that just a great story, you know, like a Hallmark movie that we can watch and go, oh, that was interesting? Or is there something that we can really take from that and apply it to our life? And next week, I'm going to do probably one of the more unusual messages I've ever done, and it's called Celebrating Christmas Change. And we're going to talk about that next week. Like I said, it's probably one of the most... It'll be probably one of the most unusual ones you've ever heard. And then also remind you that coming up at the end of, of December for Christmas Eve, uh, we have two Christmas Eve candlelight services, one at 5 and one at 11.30. We're going to be printing up some things for you to be able to give to your friends and invite them to come up. But those are just so special. And that 11.30 one, man, it, it's my favorite because it ends right at Christmas. And it's just a powerful way to bring in Christmas Day. Next week, our growth track, Class 1, is at 2 p.m. You can sign up in the foyer. If you've not gone through growth track, you need to do it. It's how you discover membership. It's also a way where you can find out so much about yourself. You find out about our vision, what we do here at the church, but you also get a chance in the second class, in step two, to really discover your gifts. and your. So I, I meet people all the time who says, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. We believe that design reveals destiny. And so part of this class is showing you how you're designed so that you can know what you're supposed to be doing. It's a powerful class. Sign up. Step one, next week, 2 o'clock, last about an hour and a half, we'll have snacks. <laughs> right? That says something. Well, snacks. Come get some snacks. All right, and there's a ladies' tea December 7th. There's information and a table set up in the foyer. Hey, I want to pray one more prayer, a prayer of blessing as you go, if you would raise your hands. Father, I thank you for every person that's here. I pray that you bless them this week in all that they do, that you would pour your spirit out upon them. Give them wisdom in all that they do, that they would walk in wisdom according to your word. Lord, I pray that your anointing would be on their life. I pray that you would give them favor in the eyes of people that they come in contact with. And Lord, I pray that you would give them, listen to me, divine appointments that they could tell other people the story of what you've done in their life. And Lord, we pray this in the mighty, wonderful name above all names, Jesus. Amen. Amen.